Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness. And thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy, your word. Lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so, Lord, we ask now that you would just speak to our hearts. Just have your way with us and guide us and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. And today we start 2 Timothy. Um, just as a roadmap, we'll go through 2 Timothy and then we'll go back to Daniel. Uh, and then we'll come back to Titus and uh, kind of march through the Old and New Testament uh, that way. What would you do today if you found out that you had a few weeks to live? Wow, he usually starts with a joke. It's kind of heavy, right? What would you do today if you found out you had a couple weeks to live? Now, say what? It's, re- it's a little rhetorical. I, okay, reflect in your head. It's an honest question. Reflect in your head. What would you do if you found out that you had a couple weeks to live? Now, ideally, the right answer is, I just keep doing what I'm doing, right? Or sometimes people say in the job, in the job world, what would you do if you uh, won the lottery and came into $20 million, right? Well, ideally, you'd keep doing what you're doing right? It's kind of a gut check kind of a question, right? Like, do you work just for the money or do you work because it's what God wants you to do, right? And so I know there's some, there's some variables in those things. But, and for sure, I'll tell you, because honestly, I have some, I, in my day job, I have some pretty surreal experiences. Um, I had a time uh, a few years back where a guy walks into my office just sitting here like any one of you. He says, uh, um, hey, and it was, and while I was on vacation, he'd gotten sick and gone to the ER. And, you know, they treated his, his immediate problem there and told him, oh, by the way, you got cancer and you're going to die in a couple weeks. And this guy, just matter of fact, walks into my office, says, um, Hey, I'm going to die in a couple weeks, and uh, why don't you do my funeral? Is that okay? Is that weird? It's a little different, right? But in a sense, if we really get, I believe, God's perspective on life and death, and, and this guy at, at that point in his life had that kind of perspective, it was a beautiful perspective, and if we have that kind of perspective on life and death, then you know the next life is just a transition from this life right? I talked to a lady this week. She's had uh, breast cancer, um, had, you know, kind of got through that. I I, want to say maybe kidney cancer, and now she's got lung cancer, and it's everywhere. And she's going through chemo now, but, you know, she's real, and she's a believer. She's sitting in my office, again, like, Looks like any of us. She says, you know, 
I'm getting kind of curious about what heaven's going to be like. Kind of anxious to see it. Could I, and I have to ask myself, could I do that? I mean, just as a matter of fact, you wouldn't know there's a thing wrong with her. And just kind of talking, like what are we going to have for lunch today? She says, yeah, kind of excited about it. I mean, I'm not suicidal and I'm not, you know, depressed so much that I want it out of this life or anything like that, but I'm just that much looking forward to the next life. Right? The Apostle Paul was that way. These are the last words that he ever wrote that we know of. Paul was in a Roman prison, knew that his execution was right around the corner, and he takes this opportunity to pour into this young pastor named Timothy. Fair enough? And if you think about it, the words, I, it's one, to me, is one of the greatest uh, I appreciate. One of the things I appreciate about my day job as a doctor is that I get these kind of experiences. And they just, they just, every time, they just reset my perspective. And, um, and I was thinking, what about Moses' last words? Book of Deuteronomy, right? Book of Deuteronomy. Moses writes things like, love the Lord with all your heart and with all your, with all your mind, with all your strength, right? Those words came from a man who knew that he was about to die, Right? Joshua said, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua chapter 23 and 24. He knew that he was about to die. Those are words that he spoke before what he knew was going to be his death. You know, when you're at that point in your life, you speak powerful words. Powerful words. David, 1 Chronicles 28, he wants to, <clears throat> David's got a vision for the next generation. He knows that Solomon, his son, is going to lead the kingdom. He says, now as for you, Solomon, my son Solomon, know the God of your father and serve him with a loyal heart and a willing mind. Right? Jesus, I mean, there's almost too much to try to summarize, but the night before he was crucified, all the details of that are recorded in John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. John thought that there was that much emphasis to be put on that. Right? And for Paul, we have the book of 2 Timothy. So, death puts things in perspective, right? Is that too heavy? No. Thank you. Um, but death puts things in perspective into a healthy perspective, not a morbid perspective, a healthy perspective, because this life is fleeting, right? This life is fleeting, and this life is really just a brief preparation for the real life, and that's reality. That's reality as we know it. This life is a preparation for the real life. And, uh, and the truth is, if we want our lives to matter for the Lord, we need to be focused on God and on others enough to have something to share at the end of our lives, right? 
See, because if we live our life, if we log, let's say, let's say we log the next 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, living for ourselves and our own entertainment and our own fun and our own uh, flesh and our own needs and our own this and our own agendas. And guess what? When that, that moment comes, we got nothing to share. Right? And I would make the case that even now, if we understand that, we've got a ton to share. We've got a ton to share now. So, 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy, was written primarily to a young pastor named Timothy to kind of give him instruction about church stuff. We talked about that. 2 Timothy is largely personal from a mentor Christian who's about ready to die, and he knows it, to a young student to encourage him to finish well. Paul is going to encourage Timothy to finish well. And let me just pause there for a second. Finishing well is way too uncommon in the Christian, in the Christian life today. Finishing well is way too uncommon. I was talking with a guy, a friend of mine, uh, I think last week. Back in the, uh, oh, primarily back in the 90s, um, Tracy and I and our family lived in a neighborhood in Indianapolis. It was like, it was like this utopian little neighborhood environment thing. We all hung out. We were all friends. We all lived in community. We all went to the same church. Uh, we all had Bible study together. We all did this. Everybody was rocking and rolling for the Lord, right? And my friend and I were, last week, he was asking about, well, how's so-and-so doing? Yeah. He kind of ran off the rails. Really? And, you know, without getting too depressing or too gossipy about it, the reality is, if you, get, if you sit around and count, sometimes there's just way too many people that, rail, that run off the rails. Paul does not want Timothy to fall off the rails. I don't want myself to fall off the rails. I don't want any of us to fall off the rails. Right? And this world makes it hard to not fall off the rails. That's the reality. So, it's the relationship that, Timothy, that Paul pours into Timothy that is the encouragement that is, is what he needs at a time like this. It's what Paul needs to deliver, and it's what Timothy needs to receive. Fair enough? And, you know, I think there's both sides of that. Paul needs to deliver this. Paul knows he's about to die. Paul's not whining about his coming death. Paul's pouring into another guy, and that's Timothy. I heard another story. I listened, was listening to a pastor uh, talking about this, and, and this pastor uh, talks about the day he got the phone call. He personally got the phone call that says, you've got cancer. And he says, you know, that day is kind of a weird day, and actually I was scheduled to teach at a Bible college here that day to a bunch of you know, young people that probably aren't going to listen to me, and then I was supposed to go over here and teach at this Bible college this day to a bunch of young people that aren't going to listen to me, and I just got the call from the doctor that, you know, the test was malignant, 
And what I really want to do is crawl in a hole and mope for a while, right? Isn't that what we want to do? But he said, you know, I knew that I had to just carry out the duties of the day. That's why I asked the first question. If you, got, if you knew, what would you do? The right answer is, I just keep doing what, I'm, what God has for me. And so anyway, this guy, he said, you know what? Taught that Bible college, then drove to the other one, taught that one, and it was good for me. It was way better for me than it would have been to sit at home and mope, right? So can I tell you this? If you're going through a trial, don't sit at home and mope and think that that's the solution, right? Be God-focused and others-focused. This Christian life is meant to be lived according to the principles of the Word, according to the power of the Holy Spirit, you heard me say, without the Holy Spirit, you, you, you can't, it's not, it's not, I don't think we can live the Christian life faithfully to the end without the power of the Holy Spirit. And number three, it's to be lived in the context of relationships. Principles of the Word by the power of the Holy Spirit in the context of relationships. That's why this community is so, so vital. And that's why I'm so thankful that, it's so, that this community, I believe, is so healthy. It's critical. It's critical. I can't function outside of relationships very well, even according to the principles of the Word, according to the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And that's how God desires this Christian life to be lived. So, background. The book of Acts ends sort of like abruptly, uh, with Paul in Rome under house arrest, right? You read the book of Acts and you get to, you ever read a book and like and you get to the, to the end, right? Usually you read a book, you get to the end and it's like, oh, it all kind of comes together like this neat package, right? You get to the end of the book of Acts and you feel like you fell off a cliff, right? Like, wow, that's a setup for a sequel, right? But that's how God chose to do it, right? And, and all we know at the end of the book of Acts is, is Paul was under house arrest for two years in Rome, in, in Rome right? And he was able to have friends come and go as he pleased, and so it was a pretty light uh, house arrest, probably by uh, other Roman standards, for sure. And so anyway, he was released. uh, Most historians now, we don't have this from from Scripture necessarily, but most historians say that after a couple years there, he was released, and released probably around 62 AD. Many people believe that when he was released, he then traveled to uh, different people speculate, Crete, Ephesus, Philippi, uh, Colossi, maybe even Spain. Um, and then in 64 AD, any, histo- any history buffs know what happened to Rome in 64 AD? It burned. It burned to the ground, right? Nero was on the throne, right? And there's speculation whether Nero did, actually burned it, burned the city himself, or who did. But politically, Nero needed a scapegoat, Right? It was Christians. And so um, politically that set off uh, just an intense wave of persecution to the Christian people. And so Paul was then rearrested, and uh, he and Peter both actually were uh, executed in 67 AD. So at the time of Paul's writing of this uh, Second Timothy, he's in that Roman prison, 
definitely not sort of under the house arrest that's described in the end of, at the end of Acts, but definitely like an ugly dungeon of a Roman prison. And he knows that uh, he's kind of gone through his trial. It didn't go well. And he knows he's about to be executed. And with that, he writes these words. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So he starts out, he identifies himself as an apostle. He's going to speak from the position of a mentor, so he's kind of calling himself an apostle. He says, by the will of God. Catch that? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. By the will of God. Whatever we do, let's do it by the will of God. Can I say that? Now that seems, yeah, I just read that, and it seems pretty straightforward, right? But whatever we do, let's do it by the will of God, okay? For example, we're coming up on uh, graduation season here in a few months, right? Got that? It's kinda, it comes around this time in the spring of the year, right? And graduation season, usually we have some, you know, various places or whatever, different families choose to do it different ways. They, you might have a graduation open house. Anybody ever been to a graduation open house, right? And, you know, there's the guest of honor, the graduate that's, you know, sitting there smiling to all the extended family and friends and whatnot. And what do you suppose is asked of that graduate? What do you, what's the next word? Want to do, right? Now, depending on the level of insight of the graduate, he or she might say, well, I just love my pet chinchilla, so I want to be a veterinarian. Right? Or they might say, I was pretty good in math, so I'm going to be an engineer. You've been to one of these things. Right? I like... nature. So I'm going to be a conservation officer, right? Me? I said, I like blood. I want to be a doctor. <laughs> right? Can I say these are fundamentally wrong dialogues, right? What does God want you to do? Because here's the deal. We said earlier, God gave his life for us so he could have fellowship with us. And he's God and we're not. And so as we surrender our lives to him, you know what that means? It means we surrender our lives to him. We don't surrender the part that says, hey God, you take care of me, but I'm making the plans. Right? God, you, you know, whenever I pull the lever, I want some money to come out, right? But I'm going to do my thing. That's not how the Christian life works. The Christian life works is, I'm surrendered to him. I live according to his will, right? And it goes way beyond career plannings of an 18-year-old youth, right? It goes in the day-to-day, moment-by-moment decisions that we make each and every day. Paul's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. 
That's what God wanted him to do. According to the promise of life. So according to the promise of life, this is the only time he uses this phrase as a greeting. And it's interesting that he uses this phrase in the face of his death. He is looking forward. He's like the person I was talking about earlier. He's looking forward to the promise of eternal life that he has through Jesus. He's hanging on to that promise. He says, To Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? We've seen, number one, beloved son. In 1 Timothy, he wrote to Timothy, a true son in the faith. This time he's writing a beloved son. Right? Again, we're in the, this book is about relationship. It's about the relationship between Paul and Timothy. It's not so much about the instruction, although there's an instructional component. This is about the relationship. The Christian life is to be lived in the context of relationship. And so he says, uh, my beloved son, he says, grace, mercy, and peace. In all of his letters, he usually says grace and peace. We've talked about this before. We'll do it again. He usually says grace and peace, and they're always in that order. They're always hand in hand, and they're always in that order because we can never have the peace of God until we first have what? The grace of God. And if we experience and understand the grace of God, we're going to have the peace of God. You ever seen a frustrated Christian? He needs to be reminded of the grace of God. You ever seen somebody that fully understands and and embraces the grace of God? They have the peace of God. They go hand in hand, and they go in that order. Well, the pastoral epistles, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, he, intersects, he interjects the word mercy, grace, mercy, and peace. Some have speculated because pastors need more mercy than everybody else. Maybe that's true. But anyway, in these, in these letters, he says grace, mercy, and peace. Beautiful combination of words. He says, I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Another great nugget. Paul, the murderer. Paul, the blasphemer. Paul, the guy that stood back and voted as part of the Sanhedrin for the death of Stephen, the first martyr, has now, at the end of his life, a pure conscience. You like that? Why does he have a pure conscience? Because he understands the grace of God right? What do I have to remind myself and many of us not uncommonly? There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's interesting. I have conversations with you guys all the time, right? And, uh, you know, we go back and forth and sometimes, you know, you'll ask me to pray for something or you'll explain a situation or whatever like that, you know, and, and, and in my mind, uh, there are there are a handful of verses that always come to my mind in these, in these circumstances. And that's one of them. Romans 8.1. Memorize it. Own it. Make it yours. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why do we need to own that? Because too often we hang on to that thing that brings us guilt. And Hebrews tells us actually on in two occasions that he remembers our sins no more. Right? So every time we bring that up with God, I don't know how it works, you know, in the, in the eternal scheme of things, but somehow or other, 
I picture this like, oh God, I still feel so bad about that time that I did such and so. And God's like, huh? Oh yeah. I mean, God knows everything, right? So he doesn't quite, it's not quite like that, but as, as I understand it, that's how it is in terms of what he sees. Right? Paul, be reminded of the life Paul lived before he became a Christian. And now at the end of his life, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Paul prays night and day for Timothy. Paul prays so often, uh, references his constant prayer for so many people, so many of the churches, and so many of his letters. And I think it, it, it somewhat makes Paul who he is. He's a guy who prays for people. Let me tell you this. We could all probably, at least me, if it happens to me, I'm just going to say it happens to all of us, right? I could grow in my compassion, right? The Lord has grown me in compassion. The Lord can grow me some more in compassion. You know, there's a, there's a trick to having more compassion for someone. You know what it might be? Praying for him praying for him. If I pray for somebody, it, it, it triggers like a supernatural nerve that causes me to be mindful of that person's situation, right? I want to be aware of your situations. I'm aware of a lot of them. I want to pray for them. I want to be diligent to pray for them. I don't want to be one of those guys that just says, yeah, I'll pray for you. I want to be diligent to pray for them. And as I am diligent to pray for those things, Guess what? I'm, it's like I own those things more. I'm more mindful. I'm more aware. I'm more uh, a little consumed by those things. And that should, that's how it should be. And I believe with all my heart, that's why Paul was the effective minister that he, that he was. Now, as we know, that only applies to Paul because he was a full-time minister. Right? Are there any other ministers in the room? Who's a minister? It's like third grade, right? Who's a minister? What, what time of ministry are you in? Full, right? If you get a check from somewhere else, doesn't mean you're not in full-time ministry, right? Don't misuse that word, please. He goes on, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Greatly desiring. Simply, Paul wants to hang with Timothy. He didn't want to share great theology at his point of death. He just wants to hang with Timothy. Right? Relationships matter. He wants to hang with Timothy. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which first dwelt, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. What kind of faith does Timothy have? Genuine. Genuine. No weird motives. You know, memories come with relationships. So Paul's got a relationship with Timothy. He's got these memories. 
and what he remembers about him is his genuine faith, right? What do people remember about you? Or what do people remember about me? If I have somebody that I, in my life that I haven't seen in a while, what is it they remember about me? Right? When people talk about you, what do they say about you? Right? Uh, honestly, uh, I have occasion because we live in a small town where everybody, everybody knows, and if you dig deep enough, is related to everybody else. Right? Those of us that have migrated in, just trust me on this one, okay? Some of you have migrated in. If, you've been, if you grew up here, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I live in this town where everybody at least knows everybody. And, you know, I'll have a conversation with them, and then we strike up a conversation, and, you know, and inevitably, you know, do you, you know, know such and so, right? I mean, how often does that happen in this town? Every day. Every day. Do you know such and so? Oh, I know such and so. Oh, I was talking to a guy at the bank. Somehow, uh, I feel we were talking about. I said, you know Ryan Myers? <laughs> oh, do I know Ryan Myers? And then all of a sudden, we're not talking about banking anymore. We're talking about Ryan Myers. Right? It's very good. Super edifying. You shouldn't be the least bit worried. Right? That's how it goes. Right? That's how it should go. That's how it should go. Right? Paul has these memories of Timothy. It's a part of the relationship. Notice also, this genuine faith that Timothy, Timothy had was in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice, right? So we'd be, we'd be remiss to not point out that generational faithfulness is huge, right? Generational faithfulness is huge. Now, we may not all come from a godly background or a godly heritage. And we may not have uh, the direct influence of the next generation quite at our fingertips, if you will, as maybe we do when, you know, we're young and our kids are young, right? But we all have this ability to pass on to either the next generation or the next generation. Uh, you know, whoever's coming along behind us, right? Whoever might be younger or, or, or younger in the faith or, or whatever. We all have these opportunities, but I just love this. Uh, Timothy's grandmother apparently was a godly woman. His mother was a godly woman, despite the fact that his father was a Greek, right? So his father was a Greek, which meant at, the, at least growing up, he was not a Christian, Right? But Timothy comes from a godly heritage. And parents, as you uh, try to pour into a godly heritage into your children, can I just encourage you? It does not go unnoticed in the eyes of God, right? Now, having said that, um, believe me, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not always what you expect. Uh, there's lots of variables in all of that. But God honors faithfulness. God honors faithfulness. 
Verse 6, he goes on. He says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And so, uh, again, most commentators say Timothy was kind of timid. In 1 Timothy, um, Paul told Timothy not to neglect the gift that was in him. And now he tells him to stir up the gift of God. We don't know exactly what that gift was right? There's, uh, there's gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's a whole other teaching, right? Uh, but, but, you know, Timothy might have had the gift of teaching uh, given to him by the Holy Spirit. It might have had the gift of leadership, might have had any of a number of things. Um, but those things need to be stirred up a little bit, right? And those things need to be used, and those things need to be exercised. Just like anything that we're given, sometimes it needs to be used and exercised. And Timothy was told to stir it up. I love, again, uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. Paul tells the Philippians, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And there's the combination, right? Timothy was given one or more gifts to be used, to be not neglected, to be stirred up, to be exercised. A gift from God to be worked out by the man. Do you see the combination? Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God gives us the desire to do those things that work out our own salvation. Like, do we, work, do we work out our own salvation in and of itself? Are we saved by works? Class? Grace class? Are we saved by works? No, lest any man should boast. Ephesians chapter 2. But we are to work out our own salvation because it's God who works in us and gives us the desire both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It's this beautiful combination of God working in our lives and us working in our lives. But we do bear some responsibility. We do bear some responsibility. Paul tells Timothy, stir up that gift of God. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So God doesn't motivate by fear. Can I tell you this? Can I be like 5% controversial for, for now? It's okay? 5 Give me five, maybe six, depending on who you are. God does not motivate by fear. Does that make sense? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. I saw a billboard this week. I might misquote it. I forget the exact uh, quoting of it. But basically, it's like the gist of it is, Eternity is a long time to not get it right. Does that make sense? Is that a theological truth? Eternity would be a long time to get it wrong. Is that a theological truth? Yes, it is. Does it reflect the heart of God? This one, I'm 5% controversial. Does it reflect the heart of God? I'm going to say it doesn't. Because God does not motivate us by a fear of hell that would make me want to avoid hell. Does that make sense? How does God motivate us? Starts with L, rhymes with have. Love. God motivates us supremely by his love. You know, I grew up in a church, same church my brother grew up in, 
As a matter of fact, let's try again. I grew up in the same church my brother grew up in. He came here from Indianapolis for stuff like this, right? Work with me. So we grew up in a church. I don't know, you know, I don't remember the exact sermon titles or content necessarily, but I remember at least in my early years thinking, dude, I better be a Christian because I don't want to go to hell. Is that theological true? Theologically true? Yeah. But can I tell you something? God doesn't motivate us by fear. I mean, that's truth. Okay, that's fine. If that, gets me to, if, that, if that wakes me up to an awareness of God, fine. But there is so much more richness to be had by fellowship with God. There's so much, so much richness to be had by a simple, faithful walk with the Lord. I don't worry about hell anymore. It's not on my radar. Right? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Do you want more power? It comes from God. It comes from God. Do you want more love? Yes, it comes from God. Do you want more of a sound mind? Yes, it comes from God. It comes from God. You know, the mind thing is interesting, right? That sounds like not crazy, right? <laughs> It sounds like not crazy. And, and yet even in that, God gives us wisdom. God gives us supernatural wisdom at times. And honestly, I see it, I see it play out. I see it play out in the Scripture. I see it play out so often in daily life. If we ask, it says, James chapter 1, if we ask for wisdom... He'll give it, right? Doesn't come with a certain degree. Doesn't come with a seminary uh, uh, education. It comes by asking God for wisdom. You say, what does wisdom look like? It's just the ability to navigate the, the road of life, right? I mean, there's several, I love, I, I just love uh, Paul's, Paul's standing in, in front of a mob, a Jewish mob that's about ready to tear him into pieces, right? He recognizes that the mob is full of Pharisees and Sadducees, right? And they're like coming at him like a pack of lions. He says, hey, can I say something for a minute? And they all pause just enough to let him speak. He says, you know, it's because of the resurrection of the dead that I stand here before you today. Was Paul preaching to these people? Not necessarily, right? He knew that part of them were Pharisees who believe there is a resurrection from the dead. 
and part were Sadducees who staunchly believe there's not. And Paul did what many good politicians today do. He caused them to all of a sudden destroy each other while he slipped out the back door. Is that cool? That's just a great story. Right? What did Paul have? Did he learn that in school? I'll tell you what, when you get in this situation and you see there's a group of Pharisees and Sadducees, get them to fight each other. It wins every, works every time. Did he learn that in school? No. He received that by the Holy Spirit. Right? Two women come to Solomon arguing over, you know, hey, we both had a baby and one of them died in the middle of the night. I say it was mine that's still alive. She says it's hers that's still alive. Right? You know the story. I mean, while we're talking about favorite stories, let's talk about this one. Solomon says, all right, fair enough. You say this is your baby. You say this is your baby. Let's cut the baby in half and you get the half and you, you can decide which, who gets which half. Maybe it's one of those like a cookie at home, like the guy that cuts is not the guy that picks. Do you do that at home? right? Anybody's got more than one child, that's how you do it. If you don't know that trick, do that trick, right? The guy that cuts the cookie, the other guy picks which piece, right? So that's what they're going to do with this, with this baby, right? And one of these women says, that's a great idea. I get the head, <laughs> right? Solomon says, I think she's the real mother, right? Sound mind. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. We need power to not derail, frankly. We need power to go the distance of love. We all need love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Now, in our modern day, we always like to be on the winning team. Does that make sense? Who doesn't want to be on the winning team, right? Was it the Cubs that won the World Series a few years ago? Am I right? I watch very little baseball. But the Cubs won the World Series, and if I'm not mistaken, it was the first time in about four or 500 years. Is that right? <laughs> and, and I remember this... Uh, you know, if you ran into a Cubs fan that year, were they low-keyed and meek and mild and tame about it? No, they were vindicated, right? We all want to be on the winning team. We want to root for the winning team. We want to be in the hip crowd. We want to be in the, you know, whatever your, your thing is. Imagine in the first century A.D., at the time of Nero's persecution of Christians whom he blamed for the burning of Rome, that your Savior, oh, by the way, got crucified, and your mentor, oh, by the way, is about to have his head chopped off while he sits in prison. Do you feel like you're on the winning team? No. And that's why Paul, that's one of the reasons Paul says in, at the end of this chapter and elsewhere in this book, basically, everybody's skedaddled, right? Paul's pretty much all alone for the most part. And so, you know, uh, 
yes, we want to be on the right on the on the winning team, but we need to keep in mind that we are on the winning team, regardless of what things look like in our immediate circumstance. So in Paul's day, Timothy was encouraged to follow and not be ashamed of a crucified Savior and an imprisoned mentor. You know, Paul said in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. It is the power of God. The gospel message, right? Please catch this. We've mentioned this before. The gospel message. I'm a sinner. Jesus Christ died for me. He rose from the dead to the living so that I could receive salvation, that I could receive eternal life, go to heaven, be with him forever, and have abundant life on this earth while I yet remain on this earth. That's the gospel message. And that message is supernaturally more powerful than just those words. Does that make sense? Just like this, this scripture is living and powerful, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to discern the thoughts and intents of our heart. It's given by inspiration of God, all scripture, every word of it, every paragraph, every comma, every dotted I is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's more than just an encyclopedia or a history book or a poetry book or a biography or a bunch of biographies. But it's all of that and supernaturally more, right? Well, the gospel message is supernaturally more than I'm a sinner, Jesus died for me, though he did, though I am. And so it's that gospel message that puts us on the winning team, if you will. And Paul wants, to be, Paul wants Timothy to be reminded of that. He said, share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. You know, there will be times as Christians, like Paul, like Timothy, we will have to endure stuff. That's a reality. Too often in the church, we're sold a Jesus that's just going to, you know, make us healthy, wealthy, and wise. And that's not the Jesus of the Bible. We serve a Jesus that will take us through stuff to demonstrate the fact that he can take us through those things because this life is hard at times, right? Paul says, share with me in the sufferings according to the gospel who has saved us according, saved us according to the power of, uh, who have saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our, own work, our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So he calls us according to his purpose. Again, not what do you want to do, what does God want you to do? And according to the grace which was given to us. And so the grace means he gives us the ability, he gives us the, the power to carry out his will. So we live according to his purpose and the grace that empowers us to do that. And it's been going on. How long? Before time began. You see this? Before time began, God knew that you and I would live this human life. He knew that we'd live it in this time. He knew that we'd be here today. Before time began. Before t time began, God had a plan for our lives. Each and every one of us. Before time began, God's grace was a part of the equation that would allow us to carry out his plan 
because we can't carry out our pl- this plan if we're lost and, si- and serving ourselves. We can't carry out his divine plan for our lives if we are living for ourselves. So it's by his plan, by his grace, and it's been going on since before time began. Do you think you're insignificant in the eyes of God? Not at all. Not at all. But he's now been revealed, has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So now is the time for us to live this life. He's had a plan for us all along. He gives us the grace to do it. And now it's the time. Verse 11. To which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. So Paul's doing his part. He was appointed a teacher, an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles. That's his job. Keep in mind, your job may not be to be a preacher, an apostle, or a teacher of the Gentiles. Your job may be to be, your job is to be faithful at whatever it is you're supposed to be doing. Which brings up the point, you know, so often people are like, well, what am I supposed to be doing? You ever notice this? You know, this happens oftentimes. What's my calling? What am I supposed to be doing? You know what the answer usually is? Whatever it is you're doing right now. Where he's placed you. Right? Now, does God move people? God moves people. Right? But by and large, by and large, God puts us where he wants us to be, and he calls us to be faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2. Moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. We've been given a life. We've been given the treasure of the gospel. It's our job to be good stewards of that. Keep doing what you're doing. Be faithful at it. If you're a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, do that. If you're something else, do that. Do it as unto the Lord. For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. So, this life sometimes brings suffering. Paul knows he's going to be executed. He knows that God is in control and he's okay with it. There's tremendous peace in Paul's in Paul's words here. Tremendous peace of a, in a guy who's about ready to die and he knows it. Verse, 12, verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Okay, so please catch this. This is good advice to any minister and we're all ministers. Number one, hold fast the pattern of of sound words. Stick to the Word. The Word of God is our guide for everything. Stick to the Word. Why do I make a point of that? Because there are lots of trendy Christian fads that will come and go. Lots of, lots of trendy Christian fads that will come and go. You know what's funny is our kids were growing up there were lots of trendy fads that came and went, right? And I remember thinking, I forget when, when in my, when in my process this all came down, but I remember one day thinking, you know, 
culturally now, I'm just, I'm talking culturally now. I remember thinking, you know, if boy George comes and goes, and my kids never know about it, will they really miss out? What's the right answer? No, they're reasonably well adjusted. And they're like, boy, George. <laughs> right? I remember when I was a youth, right? I had to be t- on top of all that stuff, right? I mean, I even, well, I won't do it now. <laughs> I knew how to do the boy, George thing. Okay, I did do it now, right? Right? You know, things come and go. Things in the body of Christ come and go. Cool hipster doctrine comes and goes. Cool hipster techniques come and go. Cool hipster vibe comes and goes. The Word of God stands like an anchor. It needs to be our anchor. If the, you know, if the cool hipster stuff comes and goes, fine. Let the Word of God be our anchor. Let the Word of God be our anchor. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit. Again, these ideas of keep, don't drift, don't fall away. Hold fast. You get this idea? Hebrews tells us, be careful to heed what we've been taught, lest we drift away. Very few people in the body of Christ wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I'm going to derail. Just completely live for myself. I mean, some people, people are doing that these days, right? But most people that derail they do it by just getting off course a little bit. Just a little too much of this and not enough of this. And next thing you know, you're a couple degrees off. But you know, you're a couple degrees off for a long period of time. Next thing you know, you're, you're off course. Right? That's how it usually goes. And frankly, it goes there way too often. Right? What do we want to hear? We want to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We want to hear that till we take our last breath. Hold fast. Keep that thing that was committed to you by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. So again, you know, the idea that would have been a risk uh, to seek out Paul and, and try to help him. The Lord grant to him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day, and you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. So, you know, Paul's trust is in, man, is in God. You know, many of his friends will, will have deserted him. By the end of this book, we'll read about many of his friends that deserted him. Paul was a lonely man at the end of his life. But he had the Lord. 
he was comforted by the faithful brethren, right? But not everybody remains faithful. That's really, to me, the point of this book, is that we want to be facing death. As he'll say here uh, in a later chapter, I have fought that good fight. I finished the race. I did my job, right? We want to say that. Not just for a week or for a month or for a season. We want to say that for life, right? And as we do that, we don't do it because we're trying to earn points with anybody. We're not even trying to win points with God. We're, res- we're recognizing, oh my goodness, Lord, I was a sinner. And if I'm honest with myself, I really know what that means. Like, you guys know you're a sinner, but you don't really know I'm a sinner, right? I know I'm a sinner. Yeah? Okay, I grew up with my brother. <laughs> I know I'm a sinner. Right? I know I'm a sinner. I know what that means. And I know that I'm saved. And I have no choice in my mind if I'm going to live this life logically, if I'm going to live this life logically, I need to present my body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is my only reasonable response, which is your reasonable service. The only thing reasonable is a life of lifelong service to the Lord. And truthfully, most of you know, that's why I don't really, in my mind, I try to never harp on anybody about, oh, you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this, and you need to do this. First of all, you'd get tired of me, and I'd get tired of me, right? But if I say, can you believe how good God is, right? Guess what you're going to do? This and this and this and this, right? Because you're going to be thankful. You're going to be appreciative. You're going to acknowledge it. Your life is going to be a response, not an earning of points, not a trying, 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 Romans 7, trying, right? But, Lord, thanks. Whoa. Thanks. And we have the privilege of saying that until we take our last breath. That's amazing privilege. So let's do it. Lord, thanks for your goodness. Thanks that you're so good to us, that you died for us, that you long to have daily fellowship with us. And Lord, we know we don't deserve it. We know who we are. We know, what <clears throat> we know deep down what we deserve. We deserve hell. And yet, Lord, by your grace, you've given us so much more than an escape from hell. Lord, help us to live lives in response to that truth. Lives that bring glory and honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have an awesome, awesome week.